Well, good morning, church. Let's pray. Great and loving Father, we thank you for the cross of your Son. We thank you for your great love for us and that by your grace you accept our worship. And as we gather here this morning in answering your call, we ask that you be glorified in our hearing of your word and that we be built up by the Spirit in the knowledge of Christ. May no power nor persuasion hinder us from giving ourselves to you, for you are highly exalted and greatly to be praised. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, my brothers and sisters, I begin this sermon by giving thanks to God that he makes it clear to us in his word that only by the righteousness of Jesus, by what Jesus has done in his life, death and resurrection, do we have peace with him. The forgiveness of our sins, our status of holiness, our adoption as the children of God, that we are welcomed into his presence. This is only possible and all completed because of the righteousness of Jesus. And because Jesus is our mediator, our intercessor, our worship is made access, uh, acceptable to him and we can come boldly before the throne of grace into the holy of holies, even though we carry the stain of sin and we are not consumed because we are covered in the righteousness of Jesus. But my brothers and sisters, if we are rightly quick to say that we did not earn our salvation or we are very careful to stay clear from the error of works righteousness or thinking that our salvation was because we are very spiritual or open to hearing the gospel, or perhaps we were just um, more clever than other people and so we could understand it better, perhaps we are less careful to, f to fall into another error. Um, well, perhaps you may have heard that we are, our good works are only evidence that we are saved, something separate from salvation. Perhaps even a necessary bonus to salvation, but distinct from it nonetheless. And this, I believe, stems from a misunderstanding of what salvation is. Salvation in this view is all about not going to hell when we die and making sure we go to heaven. But my brothers and sisters, being changed, being transformed and becoming like Jesus is essential to what salvation is all about. And in order to see this, we will have to turn to our text. Now, before we dive right in, let me uh, make clear how we're going to proceed. In order to correct this misunderstanding of what salvation from sin is, we're going to take a deeper look at the nature of sin, and we're going to focus on two main aspects. Now, the first aspect or characteristic of sin is sin's lie, or rather, what is the lie that a person believes when they come to believe or when they come to commit sin. And the second aspect is this, sin's worthlessness, or that aspect of sin which makes us worse off, not only in the sense of consequence when we die, but in the here and now, in our daily lives. How has sin affected us in the past as sinners? And having had a look at the, those aspects of sin, we'll then proceed to see how we as Christians can live a life of holiness. So I invite you now, if you have your Bible, to turn with me to Romans chapter 1. And we'll look at Romans chapter 1, beginning from verse 18. So please turn with me in your Bibles 
to Romans chapter 1, and we'll read from verse 18. I'll give you a moment to find that, and I'll give myself a moment also. Beginning from verse 18, we read, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Verse 21, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, verse 24, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Verse 26. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. And verse 28, Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. Thus the reading of the word. Now, as we know that salvation includes our final destiny of heaven rather than hell, we also make mention of the knowing the truth aspect of salvation. In Romans 1, as we read, God judges sinners by allowing them to fall deeper into believing the lie of sin rather than the truth of God, namely to seek satisfaction and nourishment in in sin rather than in God. And notice from verse 18, Paul describes the sinner as... In verse 18, suppressing the knowledge or the truth about God. And this failure to believe the truth about God, to know him even though he has revealed himself through creation, leads to the following consequences. Now first we see that sin here is connected to idolatry. In verse 23 and 25 we read that the sinner exchanges the glory of God for the glory of created things. They replace God by seeing created things as more glorious, more lovely, more wonderful, more satisfying than God himself. Verse 25, they believe a lie, worshipping and serving created things rather than God. And verse 28, they don't even believe God is worth knowing about. The lie here then is the lie that created things are more glorious, more satisfying than God in our relationship with him. And so as we sin, it pulls us away from the knowledge of the truth and glory of God and we come to see creation, things in creation and our experiences in it as better, as better than God. Now, though the world is blind to God's glory, my brothers and sisters, 
and does not consider knowledge of him as even worthwhile. God saves us by revealing his glory to us, which surpasses everything on earth. And let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, 6, and we'll see that point uh, made clear for us. In 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 to 6. Second Corinthians, chapter 4, verse 4 to 6. The God of this age, that is the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Verse 5. We do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. Verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts. To do what? To give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 4, we see there that Satan, described as the God of this sinful world or age, has blinded unbelievers so that they do not see the glory of God. But through the gospel, my brothers and sisters, through the light of the gospel, we do come to see God's glory and we come to know him. Salvation then is coming to know the truth and see the glory of God, rather than being deceived to seek satisfaction from the fruit of the tree, the forbidden fruit. We find it in the bread of life, Jesus, who gave himself for us on the tree. The knowledge given to us, my brothers and sisters, the light revealed to us, is not simply the historical facts of what Jesus did, but through those historical facts, through what Jesus did for us long ago, we come to see who God is in Jesus. In the gospel, we come to see the very character, the glory of God. So let's call this the knowing God's glory part of salvation, the aspect where we find satisfaction and fulfillment in God above everything else in creation. Now, the lie of sin, my brothers and sisters, is also a form of slavery. Now, why do I say that? Well, if we look at our text in Romans chapter 1, as a result of suppressing the truth about God's glory, we see in verses 24, 26, and 28 there, in each case it says, God handed them over. Now, what does that mean? Well, this phrase, handed them over, is ordinarily used to describe a person to be punished or to be put in a form of bondage. Therefore, when we sin, when we ignore or suppress the knowledge of God's glory and believe created things that have greater glory than him, we make ourselves slaves of sin. If failure to see God's glory, my brothers and sisters, results in bondage to sin, then coming to a knowledge of the truth, to see God's glory in the face of Jesus, sets us free from the power of sin. Salvation, then, includes a freedom from the lie and bondage of sin through knowledge of God through the gospel of Jesus. Well, that is aspect number one. And there was another aspect, wasn't there? That was the sin's worthlessness or how we are made worse off by sin in our present lives. So apart from sin's lie and bondage, my brothers and sisters, there are also undesirable earthly or intrinsic qualities to sin which make us worse off. In Romans 6, Paul asks the rhetorical question. Since we are saved by grace, since salvation does not, is not based on how good we are or our good works, well, why don't we just keep on sinning? 
Don't we receive more grace then? And this would be a very good question for the Christian who thinks that good works are not important because we are saved by grace. But turning to Romans 6, and we'll see how Paul answers that question. Why should we as Christians who are saved despite our sinfulness then proceed to live a life of righteousness? Why should we be good? Well, in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, um, and we'll read from verse 1 and 2, and then we'll jump to verse 20 to 23. Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then, he says? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Verse 20. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. And listen carefully to what he says next in verse 21. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit that you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. Verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul's answer then, my brothers and sisters, is to say that sin is a form of submission to slavery. And this point we've already seen. But the point of Jesus' death, he rises to set us free from this slavery. Not only in the future when we go to heaven, but now as Christians. So not merely are the final consequences of heaven and hell do we have a new venue? But now as Christians, how does Jesus set us free from sin now? Now this is very uh, important. So looking closely again at verse 20 and 21, he asks, when we were slaves to sin, what did it bring us? He doesn't just ask us to think about our future consequences of sin. He asks us to think of what he has already given us in the past. Let's do that together. Think of all the things that sin causes in our lives our broken trust, shame, the hurt we cause others, the disunity and scarred relationships, our failed and missed opportunities, they all find our root in sin, which we believe give us pleasure for a time, but in the end are our downfall. And Jesus, my brothers and sisters, Jesus releases us from the power of sin to serve him and therefore reap benefits of righteousness. Now, this intrinsic or organic inherent quality of sin, this undesirability of sin from which we are saved is called death. Now, Paul, Paul uses the word telos here, which is to say that not merely does sin have the consequence of death, but rather that in sin itself, in its very nature, it points to in a stream which leads into death. Death, my brothers and sisters, sin, my brothers and sisters, is death's fingers wrapping around and gripping us by the heel to drag us into the pit. And Jesus releases its grip on us. Eternal life, on the other hand, my brothers and sisters, is partly the blossoming and flourishing of righteousness and all its intrinsic benefits. Righteousness, our personal transformation to be holy, therefore, is part of the very nature of eternal life. To become like righteous, to become closer and closer to him in a deep and abiding relationship and fellowship with him, 
This is what makes eternal life good. Eternal life is not good simply because it's a very, very long time. It should be clear now that salvation isn't just something that happens outside of us. It isn't just an event that happened long ago or a location to go to when we die. Or even a gift or a status between us and God. No, there are transformative aspects of salvation. Now, these two broad aspects of salvation, one, our reconciliation, our justification, everything that we are in Jesus, and two, that our transformation of our characters to become like Jesus, sometimes called the duplex gratia, or more often, more often the two wings of salvation, justification on one hand and sanctification. But these two aspects, my brothers and sisters, are not parallel. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean is that everything that we are in Christ, our justification, our status of holiness, our forgiveness from sins, is the source of and points to everything that Christ is and through us. That is, what we are in Christ is the root, and what he does in and through us is the root, and both of these are essential to the very nature of what salvation means. When we forget either of these two parts of salvation, or when we reverse their order, that is when we fall into error. On one hand, if we forget that we are saved by the sufficiency of Christ alone and trusting in him, we fall into works righteousness and legalism, and we're always having the anxiety of thinking, oh, am I saved? Have I done the right things? Have I gone to church enough? Do I have enough faith even? Do I really believe those things? But if, on the other hand, my brothers and sisters, if we forget that we are saved from the power of sin in our lives in order to live a life of righteousness, to become more and more like Jesus, if we forget this, then we've forgotten what we are saved from and to what we are saved for. And the, cry, and the desire to be free from sin, my brothers and sisters, is the cry of the man in Romans 7, who shall save me from this body of death? Only Jesus. To summarize then, sin is undesirable in part because it is to believe a lie, to fail to see how shallow sin's, uh, sin's pleasure is. And it also has undesirable consequences now in our relationships, with family, with friends, with ourselves. It is also opposed to what we wish to be, to become more and more like Jesus. And salvation, freedom in Christ, which we have by faith alone, is freedom, the liberty now by the Spirit to walk in the Spirit and to be made like the one we wish to be, to become like Jesus. So my brothers and sisters, how do we live a life of righteousness? How do we as Christians be good? Well, the same power that sets us free from condemnation, that same power which rose Jesus from the dead, is the same power by which we can walk according to spirit in newness of life. Only by the spirit do we live a righteousness which is deeper than human or philanthropic righteousness. This righteousness by the Spirit, my brothers and sisters, is a righteousness which is a love for our enemies, for people who don't deserve our kindness or prayers, but to whom we are instruments of God's grace. So I want to call it grace righteousness. 
which is not just compassion for the lowly and the hurt, although that is important, but love for our enemies. This isn't righteousness simply in the sense of where everyone receives their due. No, that is not grace. Even the tax collectors do that, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. No, the righteousness called by Jesus is to love those who persecute us, to lay our lives down for our enemies, to take up the cross they put upon our backs and march up the hill in love and service for them. Now, this is not to say that we do everything they ask or want us to do, but that in our prayers, in our thoughts for them, in our daily actions, we have their good in mind. Now, my brothers and sisters, this righteousness that we have by Jesus, by his Spirit, is deeper than a charity or compassion which is carried out in order to earn a notch on our belt or to say, look at how good our team is or how good Christianity is compared to other people. Because frankly, my brothers and sisters, how we live and how I live, who have received the light of the gospel, is embarrassingly poor to how, compared to how many other people who live their lives who do not have the light of the gospel. So to summarize again, uh, to summarize then, my brothers and sisters, we as Christians seek, we go out of our way, we get out of our comfort zone to become more and more like Jesus. Because Jesus is not only the source of our salvation, but he is its end goal. He is not only the one who gives us eternal life, but rather to be in fellowship with him and to do so perfectly, perfectly which means to become more and more like him is the very nature of eternal life. The freedom that we have by Jesus defeating sin and death on the cross for us, this was done so that we could walk in newness of life and be his instruments and enjoy the blessings, all the benefits of union and communion with him. We as Christians have come to see beyond the joy and glory of the things of earth. We have, we have seen beyond the nobility and majesty of kings and princes, beyond even the glory of prophets sent by God. We look beyond the beauty and joy that we see in our loveful family, religious communities of close friendships and our relationships. Excuse me. <coughs> we look beyond that and find the source of all that joy in God, but more than that, embodied in flesh and revealed to us in the person of Jesus. <clears throat> Not only did God cause others to welcome us into their presence, though we be sinners, no, God himself, he entered into our weakness to walk dusty roads, to suffer hunger and abandonment, and to be tortured to death for us. What a God we serve. <clears throat> Jesus is so wise. Jesus is so compassionate. Jesus is so understanding. He is so bold. He is ready to flip over tables when it's the right thing to do. He outsmarts anyone trying to trap him in an argument. When he speaks, crowds clamor to hear his voice. Jesus made the universe. Jesus spoke worlds into existence. Jesus is right now holding the very fabric of the cosmos by his might. 
Jesus has never committed a sin. Oh, how great it would be to become more and more like Jesus. And how great heaven must be where everyone is as loving and kind and sure as Jesus is, or as much as any mere human could be by his grace. And best of all, where Jesus himself is. How foolish we are for holding on to the lie that sin is more enjoyable, more satisfying, more glorious, better than God himself. So we end the sermon where we started. We continue to give thanks for his salvation, which we receive by faith, and that his work on the cross is finished, and now we are welcome into God's presence, having been forgiven of our sins. But we also give him thanks that through his victory on the cross, he has set us free from the bondage of sin. He has set us free from that slavery, and by his spirit is making us more and more like him. And we continue his work of revealing his glory to the world in the light of the gospel of Jesus. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, may we truly participate in the work of your risen Son. Make us more and more like him. Help us to seek new ways, real changes we can make where we keep in mind the truth of the gospel. Remind us every day from our rising to our laying down to rest how much more beautiful and satisfying Jesus is over all the things of earth. And help us by your grace to reveal you to the world so that they may see your glory in the face of Jesus. We ask this in his name we pray. Amen.